My name is Jade and you are listening to the It's a Mind Game podcast, where the goal of every episode is to share and discuss different experiences of struggles and triumphs throughout our everyday lives. I aim to open up the conversation on topics that are harder to discuss or sometimes difficult to find people to talk to about. I hope you can find both comfort and inspiration here and continue to evolve into becoming your happiest, healthiest and most successful self. everyone welcome back to it's a mind game today i'm super excited to introduce you to nicole who is a proud mum of two one of which her bubs was an ivf miracle and the second was a surprise so she's here to share with us her story um nicole is a registered nurse and also the owner of tiny sleepers australia as a baby sleep consultant um as a new mum i know how much we need our sleep consultants so that's another magical thing about nicole um, but without any further delay, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jade. Oh, it's so great to have you here. I've been so excited for this chat because um, oh, I guess firsthand I've got a few friends going through IVF at the moment yeah. um, and I've found that everyone's really aware that it exists but no one really knows much about the process, let alone, I guess, how to support anyone going through it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm really excited to open up that conversation with you and thanks for being willing to share with us today. Yeah, thank you very much. It's um, it's definitely a topic that needs to be spoken about more. It's something sometimes I feel people go through it silently, which is awful. They shouldn't have to go through it on their own as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So I guess if we start at the beginning, um, did you always know that you'd need IVF or were you trying for children, things weren't working and then it sort of come up from there? Um, no. So it was actually all a real surprise for me that I was going to have fertility issues. Um, sort of um, it was just a diagnosis that sort of came um, about by mistake, really. I ended up in hospital with what they thought was um, appendicitis um, and I was having surgery and things like that. Um, and then when I woke up in recovery, I had this awful um, registrar with terrible bedside manners and he pretty much just said to me, look, your appendix are fine, but you should probably get your girly bits sorted out. There's something going on there and left me with that. And obviously my mind went into overdrive and things think what the heck's going on with me um and then from there that's just when sort of the ball got rolling in terms of seeing specialists and things to see what he actually meant in terms of something's going on with the girly bits um and um you know and then that's just where all those um the answers started to come through I didn't ever think that we weren't at the stage of trying for children but it was pretty mm -hmm. much let's get the ball rolling because we never know how long this is going to take now kind of thing so um first off how rude it was awful and I think being a nurse myself being on the other side of that um, I was just thinking what the heck just happened? Um, I remember leaving oh, hospital yeah. confused and sad and, um, yeah, it was it was a bizarre experience to go through. <laughs> yeah, and I'd imagine if they've opened you up for surgery, obviously you had some very severe symptoms. They don't just rush you into surgery for no reason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think um, and then like yeah. turning up to emergency department, I was there saying, yep, I've got appendicitis, this is my symptoms. The triage nurse was like, yep, you're presenting exactly like someone with appendicitis. Within hours, I was on the operating table. So it was something that was really rushed through. It was, yeah, very strange. <laughs> That's bizarre. Yeah. Um, 
But I guess in a good way, it sort of led you into exploring what was going on with the girly bits, as that registrar said. <laughs> yes, I couldn't even say the word gynecologist. That was all just a bit too much for him. Um, but, yeah, now that obviously I've been through it all um, and I can look back in hindsight, there was so mm. many um, red flags there for me, huge red flags. You know, I was a young 10-year-old girl that got a period, like, um, that was awful within itself. And then um, probably 12 months after having my period, then the, um, it all started, all the pains and things like that, that I would have to have, you know, a week off school every month and things because the bleeding was so bad, the pain was so bad and things like that. Um, but obviously as a young girl, you, you think that's just normal. That's just what a period is. Um, did, I didn't talk about it with anybody. Um, and then by the time that I was um, late teens, early 20s and things, those pains were getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and then actually that the weekend that I had, which they thought was appendicitis, I'd been away on a girls' weekend um, with the lovely Steve Lee, obviously, who you know. And um, and then that's when I had the really first bad attack of buckling over in pain. And that's where, yeah, it, it all began, really. So with your periods as well, was it predominantly pain and just heavy bleeding or did you have other things like um, nauseousness, yeah. um, bad cramping, what else was involved? Yeah, so the nauseous, um, the yeah, the, the terrible crippling pain, whereas like where I'd be stuck in bed, stuck if I was standing up, I'd be hunched over and things like that. Um, really bad sciatic pain and things like that, which would go from obviously my mumbar all the way down the back of my legs and things like that as well. Um, migraines and things like that. Just pretty much the works. If there was a symptom, I almost had it, I felt like. Yeah, and what did they end up diagnosing you with? Um, so I got diagnosed with stage four endometriosis um, originally. So that was um, after I first saw that um, original gynecologist. So I had another laparoscopy done where the endometriosis was diagnosed. So I had the endometriosis um, right through the vaginal um, cavities, right through to my anus, right through to my diaphragm, which I didn't even realise it could go that far, um, which then also has explained in the past why I had experienced some breathlessness, um, obviously because there was some pressure there on my diaphragm as well. Um, and that's where obviously I learnt about endometriosis itself. I just, I probably previously in the past had all sort of brushed off people with a diagnosis of endometriosis. Um I didn't realise it came in different stages and things like that as well. Um, and that's not to say that somebody with stage one um, endometriosis might have less or more pain. So they sort of diagnosis in um, how much mass of the body that it's covering. So somebody with stage one um, endometriosis might have more pain than somebody that's actually got stage four. So it's more just about how much of the body that the, um, the scarring is actually occurring to. Yeah, because I'm definitely aware of endometriosis, but when I had, you know, communicated with you earlier and you mentioned the stage four, yeah. that was definitely something that was new to me. Yeah. Um, and I guess going back a few stages, like you said, when it comes to painful periods, we're sort of growing up thinking that that's normal and that's stock standard. Um, so then you don't ever think to question anything yeah. until I guess it's pointed out by a medical professional or things get that severe that you just can't cope anymore. Yeah, 
did that laparoscopy help at all? Did you notice any changes to your symptoms? Yeah, so I had a couple of months grace um, and then it was almost like, like I could almost pinpoint the day where I felt like it was coming back again. Um, that ovulation pain began again um, and then obviously the periods, the ridiculously heavy periods began again um, and then that's where I sought um, private health sort of um, assistance obviously. So I had that one doctor obviously looking after me um yes it was a it was a bit of a a long haul to get to the to the answers where I needed to get to well I guess even though it's a common diagnosis the symptoms are so broad and oh I don't know because I had it explored even with my personal circumstances years ago and it seems even though it's very common it's still quite misunderstood did you sort of find that when you had appointments with different specialists yes I pretty much had to weed out the through the specialist pretty much so um because you'd come across um gynecologists who say yep I specialize in endometriosis and things like that and then you would get there and they'll be like oh well that's life you know it's part of being a female deal with it kind of thing um and then when our family um got to a specialist who only dealt with endometriosis PCOS and admonosis as well they're like this is not right you should not have to be stopping your life once a month or twice a month to deal with pain and periods and things like that as well so it's really it's and it's awful that you have to do that you have to go through so many specialists to get to finally someone who understands and things like that as well so yeah it was difficult yeah, and I guess a key part of that too is don't sort of give in to the fact of some specialists aren't understanding or aren't caring that you need to pursue finding someone who is actually going to take your health seriously and help you get to a good place. Yeah, absolutely. And because by the end of it as well, it plays a huge toll on your mental health. You, you walk away sometimes thinking, okay, maybe it's all in my head. Maybe it's not as bad as what I think it is so there's obviously a lot of people out there a heck of a lot worse than myself and then when you finally find that person who recognizes your symptoms has got a better understanding I guess of the disease and things and they tell you no like and they validate yourself you it's Mm -hmm. it's almost like a blessing in disguise that you get that diagnosis and you you can you validate your feelings and you don't obviously feel so crazy and things like that as well yeah, and I guess it would, that having the diagnosis, even though it's not something anyone wants to be diagnosed with, it sort of gives you a little bit of hope on the treatment side of things because it's like, okay, we officially know this is happening. Yeah. What next? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay, so I guess moving forward a little bit, um, when you decided that you did want to start having children or having a family, did you start trying first or did you sort of jump into the – IVF exploration straight no, away. So, um, so I had um, uh, I had three laparoscopies in in a space of um, two years just for the treatment of my um, endo, um, and then um, the after the last one, the surgeon had said to me, "Look, there's a lot of scarring. We don't think it's going to cause any infertility issues, but we're not a hundred percent sure. Um, so let's sort of just investigate that. So we've got the answers for when the time comes for when you want to start trying for children and things like that. Um, so I went on to a um to a gp um first who specialized in women's health just to get some routine bloods and things like that done just to see where my hormone levels and things were sitting in that first as well um and then from those results that's where i actually got the um 
the di- not a diagnosis, but the answers that I've actually um, had really low um, anti-malarian hormones, which is the aging pretty much of your eggs. So um, obviously at the time I was a young 25 year old, but I had eggs the age of a 40 year old. So, and they couldn't determine the quality of those eggs, obviously, unless they were being put to use. Um, but then with the combination of the scarring from the endometriosis and having the really low anti-malarian hormone, it was pretty much then said they gave me that 1% chance of ever falling pregnant naturally with those two combined together. Um, and from there, that's when um, I went straight home to my husband and said, look, this is it. We're not sure if it's going to um, if we do go through IVF, we're not sure if it's going to take 12 months, if it's going to take 10 years and things. So that's when we decided that yeah, let's start trying straight away. Um, and then we got referred on to the Monash IVF. Yeah, and such a confronting experience to have someone tell you that 1%. Oh, it was awful. And I can remember it so clearly. And I said to my husband that day, um, he was in a fairly new job and things like that. I said, oh, don't worry. Like, I'll go to the GP. It's fine. Like, what's the worst they can tell me? Mm-hmm. So I didn't sort of, um, I probably went into it quite naive, I guess. Um, Steve Lee actually happened to be the medical receptionist at that GP place where I went to. Um, and as soon as I walked out, like, she could obviously read me like a book that it wasn't great. Um, and I sat down mm-hmm. in my car down on just off Burke Street in the city and um, just cried. Just I could not stop crying. Um, I I couldn't get through to my husband. He was busy at work, so that made the situation even worse. Um, so the only person I could think to call at the time was my brother, who lived all the way over in WA. But I just needed somebody to listen to my tears, pretty much. And yeah, that day's really, really stuck with me. It has. It was. It was life changing. It really was. So. Yeah, and it's really hard. Like I've got goosebumps and, uh, yeah, sad just hearing that story because even though our journeys are a little bit different or quite different, um, I went through the appointment where I was told you're infertile and children will not happen for you. Um, And it doesn't matter that the outcomes are different now. We've both got our babies. But even when I think of that memory, my heart feels so heavy because it's so confronting and I'm not sure if you felt the same way, but I know for me, it's like it was just like that roller coaster, though. I think, isn't it? It's one minute, okay, I can deal with this. The next minute, you're sad. The next minute, you're angry. Um, Obviously, Mm. you've got friends and family that are going through having what seems from the outside quite easy conceptions and births and things. So, yeah, it's it's just a roller coaster. Yeah, and you definitely try and apply logic to different things. Like you said, other people are falling pregnant or um, whether it be planned, accidental, all those sorts of things, and then you've been told it's a it's a no without yep. assistance. Um, yeah, and emotionally, gosh, it, it just it really hits hard. Um, so I understand how you felt when you sat in the car and just had a meltdown for loss of words because I guess that's what it feels like. It's just a waterfall Absolutely, of... Yes. Yeah, it just feels like your world just sort of crumbled around you very quickly. And, yeah, yeah, it was an experience. (laughs) So when you decided to pursue the IVF journey, what did that look like for you? Where did you start? What did you need to do? Could you explain the process to us? 
Yeah, so it was obviously lots of appointments. Um, so first of all, it's just a, um, a sit-down consultation with um, Monash IVF. Um, so it's meeting the specialist there. Um, you get allocated a, um, a fertility nurse and things like that as well. And from there, they do more blood tests to try and obviously pinpoint your ovulation cycles to, um, to obviously know what sort of IVF is going to be the best treatment for you. Um, as my husband got tested he had no issues whatsoever which he is very proud about if you ask him um <laughs> typical male <laughs> um so um obviously once um we knew that was all okay and it was just on me they've done a lot of blood blood tests on myself done internal ultrasounds and things like that as well to um obviously rule out to make sure there was no masses and anything sinister there going on as well um and um checking my tubes to make sure that my tubes were, were clear and things as well um, which then also showed that I had some blockages within my tubes so why they decided then to go down the path of IVF of the insemination straight into um, the uterus as well so bypass all the um, the fallopian tubes and things like that which is good um, but you know pre all of that you do a lot of counselling you have to get um, you know police checks and things like that done as well which it's funny yeah, that's something that's so small and minor, but through all my grieving process of that, that's one thing that I got really angry and upset by. Um, I know it's just a police check, but when you're trying for a baby and then they say, oh, yeah, okay, so you need to go get a police check first just to make sure. Um, and then there's all these people out in the wide world who are having babies unwanted or mistakenly and you think, oh, like it's amazing how just those small things can throw you off out of your headspace that you're in as well. Um yeah, yeah I, I did have one friend who went through IVF a few years ago and, um, like, everything was successful. It worked out perfect. They have no regrets. But I do remember them coming to me and saying, you won't believe what they asked me for. They want a bloody police check. Yeah. Like, anyone can have a baby naturally. They don't need to prove their worthiness or anything like that. And just yeah. because I'm, you know, struggling in this area, suddenly I've got to prove that I'm a moral person and, yep. yeah, that she was so upset. Yeah, so, so yeah, I totally um, get that. Yeah, it's a, it plays with your mind big time, that one does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what did they do then? Um, yeah, so after, um, obviously, you get approved, so your police check comes back clear, the, the counsellor's happy with you as well. So you have to do, um, it was either three or four sessions you have to do with the counsellor first to make sure that you understand what you're getting yourself into, that obviously that it might not be successful, um, the highs and lows of um, going through IVF and things like that as well. Um, and then they do a session by myself and did a session with my husband by himself as well to obviously make sure that we were both on the same page as well, which once again is pretty full on. You know, you wouldn't think that you'd be dragging your partner to IVF if you, if you weren't both in it and things like that as well. Um and, yeah, from there, um, once we got the go-ahead, that's when um, – and from having all my blood tests and things done, they make up um, the, the correct dosage of medications for you. Um, so that was a mixture of um, injections into the belly um, and then also uh, pessary, um, which obviously have to put in vaginally as well to help with your progesterone levels, um, which, you know, that's all very confronting and, you know, awful things 
things to have to go through as well. But that's okay. That was all part of the process. Um, so injections were about a, a two-week cycle and then you have some more bloods done. Um, and then um, from there, if your eggs were stimulated enough, um, I had to go in then and get the procedure to get my eggs retrieved. Um, and then obviously the scientist does his little um, bit of business and he um, fertilised our eggs. Um, and then we got the call to let us know how well our eggs did. So when I had my eggs retrieved, um, uh, the first time actually, sorry, I was hyperstimulated, so I couldn't get my eggs retrieved. They were no good. Um, and then second time round, they were able to retrieve my eggs um, and they took quite a few eggs, but only five of them um, survived. Um, and then that left us with an A-grade egg. So that's obviously your best type of egg. Um, and then we had um, two B-grade eggs and then the remaining was C. So they were sort of just hanging on there from what my understanding of it was um and that's also very confronting itself as well having your eggs um graded, graded. as well yeah. yeah um yeah that sounds like a tough conversation like I know your yeah, wheels are in motion and things are happening but um yeah at the end of the day you just want everything to be perfect and as good as possible and even though you had that a egg yep I'd imagine hearing B and C wouldn't have been so comforting. Yeah, exactly um, right. And I think once again, I was very naive about it still, even though I knew what I was going into. Um, I thought, oh, that's all right. I'm young. It'd be fine. Like, like I'll breeze through this kind of thing. And then when they said, oh, you know, only five of your eggs survived, you're like, oh, well, that's a bit disappointing. And then that realisation of saying, you know, yeah, you're, you're young, but your eggs are old. And you think, okay, this is, it is sort of serious what I'm going through here. Um, and yeah. there's obviously a reason why I'm here and things like that as well. And um, obviously that, that side of you with your brain talking to you when it shouldn't be sometimes, you know, it's telling you, oh, you know, you still have reacting, like you don't actually need this and things like that as well um so it was a constant mental battle of silencing those thoughts within my own head there as well and then realizing as soon as I was almost like I kept on getting hit in the face every time I saw the doctors it was like no Nicole this is this is how it is and then that sort of brought me back down to reality a bit I guess yeah and then everyone keeps telling you just relax you know you can't be stressed you just gotta and then you've got all this stuff going on, needles, tests, scans, gradings. Yeah. Um, yeah, relax. Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Easier said than done, that one. <laughs> yeah. Look, could you please explain what hyperstimulated is? Because I've heard of it, but I'm not quite sure what it is. Yeah, so um, it pretty much is that um, you, you, you start producing all those eggs and things, which is exactly what we want, but then you pretty much – quadruple the amount of eggs that that's really require to happen um, and then you end up in buckling pain and things like that as well and it can put your IVF um, procedures at a standstill for a while until those levels come back down so um, with me being hyper stimulated obviously I've got the pain straight away as soon as they've done the blood tests and the scans they could see that there was um, too many follicles that were you know shooting off all those eggs and things like that which was obviously causing all the pain um, and then that put my IVF um, procedures sort of on hold for about two to three months it was until those levels came back to obviously um, an okay level to start be pumping all those hormones back into me again as well. Oh, wow. So that, that's a long time to two to three months. Yeah. And I think especially, you know, because everything started for us so quickly, then to have that 
standstill all of a sudden yeah it it was yeah it was hard as well it was sort of one of those shocks sort of things that but in the same breath we sort of knew that they really um you know drill it into you but you know these could be potentially the possibilities and things as well so yeah um yes because I'm sort of learning as I go through hearing other women's stories at the moment and I think um I don't know, my, my exposure prior to that was very media-related, so TV stories, magazines, Instagram, whatever you want to sort of put in that bubble. Yep. And it portrayed very much as, yeah, I did RVF, I've got my baby. Yep. Um, so, therefore, it's sort of natural, even if you share with someone that you might be going through your IVF, that it can also almost bring on that response of them being like, yeah, cool, no worries, you'll be fine yep. because – you know, they just inject you and then you're fine and then you have your baby and everyone's happy. Yep. Um, an extra few steps, but it works. So, yep. yeah, just deal with it. Be happy. You're lucky you've got the option. Yep. Um, but the statistics of successful IVF transfer are actually a lot lower than what people realise. Yeah, they are, absolutely. And I think people only share the, the success side of IVF, don't they? And people don't realise sometimes how long people have been going through their journeys for. Um, I yeah. feel like I'm, I'm a huge success story. Like I only had that two to three month glitch in my IVF journey. Yeah, I had to go through an IVF journey a lot younger than a lot of people normally do. Often, I guess it's pretty stigmatised that IVF is for, you know, your your late 30s and plus kind of thing. Um, so that holds a lot of stigma, I think, around IVF that, you know, oh, God, you're 25 years of age. Like, why would you need IVF for one kind of thing? Um, yeah, and I guess, you know, there's people out there that go through it for years and years and years and years. But then mm-hmm. as soon as they have that success story, people sort of forget about that journey that they've been through. Um and like I said, like even though I compared to other people, my journey was short, it took such a huge toll and still now when I think about it and what I've been through, it's it's massive. And people, if you've unless you've been through it, I don't think you'll ever hundred percent obviously understand the, the toll mm-hmm. it is because yeah, it like you said, magazines, Instagrams, everything it, it can glorify um what you're going through. Yeah, um, which is where I'm so grateful to have you on and sharing your story because I think it's important for people to be aware of it's not a walk in the park um, and not in a way that doesn't give anybody hope because that's definitely not what the goal of this is. But more so if you do know someone who's going through IVF or you yourself might be about to, it's sort of more so bracing yourself for the potential obstacles. But also, you know, that light at the end of the tunnel as well because, you know, just like in your situation, you've got this beautiful baby. Like everything worked out. Um, And even though you've gone through all of these experiences at the start that were overwhelming and confronting and sad and emotional, um, if you look at the end of it, it's just all smiles because you've got this beautiful, healthy child. Absolutely. I'm very, very, very grateful for what I've been through. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's, it's yeah, and, you know, the tail end of it is just so fabulous. Um, how did you find out you were pregnant? Like, what, what happened there? So once you have your egg transfer, so I was on a five-day egg transfer, so they do different transfers um, depending on your needs and things like that and how, um, how good your eggs are and things like that. So um, once my um, eggs had been fertilised five days later, I went in for my transfer and, um, 
And then after that, they say we will um, do blood tests in um, about three to four weeks' time. Um, and they say to you, go home, keep yourself busy, do fun things with your family and your friends. Do not buy pregnancy tests. <laughs> they tell you. Away from the test. Away from the test. And then, of course, um, where I lived in Melbourne at the time, I had Woolies um, literally 100 metres down from my house on the corner. So it just felt like I had pregnancy tests just staring at me every time that I went for a walk. Fine. And then it happened, you know, I got my chocolate to help with the emotions. The pregnancy test just happened to jump into the shopping trolley and things like that as well. So that was probably about (laughs) two weeks post um, transfer. It must actually must have been just short of the three weeks it was. And um, I just felt different this day um I'd been a hormonal wreck for a good week prior was doing some weird crazy shopping very might have even gone out and brought a car and things like that as well <laughs> you know just being prepared for yeah. family and things like that um and yeah. I I did 10 pregnancy tests um over a course over eight days I did um, 10 pregnancy tests um and I numbered them you know um five days post-transfer, six days post-transfer, seven days post-transfer. I've written them all on um, with black text on each pregnancy test, which I still have in the little safe box at home. (laughs) Oh, my God, Nicole, you make me feel so normal. (laughs) Yeah. I did the same thing. I tested myself. Oh, I think in the first 24 hours I went through four tests just to be sure. And then the days after that was like two to three times a day and I've got all of the tests still. Because throughout my pregnancy, I kept checking, like, are you sure you're pregnant? Like, yes, you've got the stick. You know you're pregnant. Like, it's okay. Um, I've never heard of anyone else yeah. doing that. But you- so one of the reasons why they told you not to test um, with a pregnancy test um, during IVF, though, is because it can obviously give you that false positive. You've had so much hormones and things injected into you and all that kind of thing. But I was absolutely certain. So I kept on doing it. I waited for that phone call and it was my lovely IVF nurse and I couldn't even speak. I, I was um, seeing a car in front of my house when she called, saw my last IVF and I thought, this is it, this is the moment. Straight away, you can be a mama. Like, oh, my gosh. And then husband and I said, hi. I just burst into tears and it was that ugly sobbing, snorting, crying, um, that he actually thought there was something wrong. He thought that somebody had died or something because of the way I was crying. And then I finally yeah. got the word baby out and then he lost it. Of he, the penny dropped for him and he realised that, you know, we're pregnant and we're having a baby. And, and it was the best part of the story. You just found out you're pregnant. Yeah, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I couldn't imagine how much joy. But you did have an inkling, didn't you? I don't I can't even tell you what that inkling was, but there was just something inside me that said, no, there's something different going on. Um, And then, you know, I'm not sure if that was the hormone things just telling me, but I don't know. I I did have that little intuition that, yeah, I was pregnant. (laughs) Oh, so beautiful. And then from then on you had a – a good pregnancy like everything was you were happy and well or did you have some morning sickness what was the pregnancy like yes it was yeah fairly stock standard I guess um 
so I had just a general morning sickness and things that sort of floated in and out for the first probably 14 to 15 weeks. It wasn't one of those constant um, sicknesses I could go for days or a week without feeling ill and things like that. But there was multiple times probably um, at work where I had a quick vomit and things like that. Um, not always pleasant when you're trying to look after unwell patients and then you're vomiting in the sink in the room and things like that as well. Oh, but <laughs> that's all part of it. It's, it's fun yeah. to look back on now. Um, and then I officially got discharged from Monash IVF at 14 weeks pregnant. So that was like another milestone within itself that, and it was, it's almost sort of sad when they discharge you, you know, cause they get you to that point and then they, um, wish you well and send you on your way and things like that. Um, and then I had a little bit of bleeding and all those sorts of things. And at that stage, I was a public patient, um, which I found very frustrating because every time that I went to the hospital, I had different uh, people giving me different advice. Um, and obviously, with what I'd been through, I was so overwhelmed and things as it is. Um, so I switched from um, public care to private care um, when I was just short of 20 weeks. Um, and then that was the best thing that I ever did because then that's when we realised that um, my placenta was working, but it wasn't working great. Um, so from there, I was sort of had um, fortnightly scans and things like that as well um, but I stayed well throughout um, I finished work um, just over because um, I struggled really bad with um, pelvic instability um, I'm not sure if you suffered this or if you know people but pelvic instability is awful it is the most painful thing you feel like you've been kicked in between the legs by a horse and then you can't walk and then you feel like your baby's head's going to fall out even though it's nowhere near that <laughs> that point um, so that was one thing that really pushed me to finish work just over 30 weeks as well um, and then I went and had a um, just one of my regular checkups around just just after 38 maybe just short of must have been just short of 39 weeks it was and um, my blood pressure had suddenly risen um, started to get the bad headaches and things like that as well um, so obviously the alarm bell started going off um, as well so I got taken up to the hospital just for a little bit of monitoring and things like that um but my blood pressure um wouldn't go down everything else came back fine so that um it, I wasn't um pre-eclampsic or anything like that but um I had pregnancy induced hypertension so they decided to that they would induce me um the next day so that was a bit of a shock to me. yeah yep so like I went from I uh, just had my mum down because I wanted my mum to be at my birth with me so mum came to started coming to my last weekly checkups with me just in case kind of thing so had my mum with me then it was okay can you go home and get a bag I've never packed a hospital bag like that yeah. so um yeah so that all happened and then the craziness of birth began after that so yeah how long was your labor um, so I got to the hospital um, to be, um, obviously, to, for, to be monitored, sorry. Um, and then they said, yep, we're going to take you to birthing suite so we can in, um, induce you first thing tomorrow morning. Um, so um, about probably six o'clock that evening, they um, they gave me the pessary just to try and ripen my cervix because my cervix hadn't ripened at all. Um, and then um, my husband, Ben, and my mum went home. I said, see you at 7 o'clock in the morning to be induced. Um, and then um, about 4 a.m. that morning, um, I started vomiting 
really really bad I had the the terrible period pain and things like that and I had a very um very fresh midwife on um overnight and I said to her I think um, I think I'm in labor like these pains are pretty intense um and she's like oh no 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 um you know, you're being induced in the morning. It's just the pessary that's um, probably just aggravated your cervix slightly um, and so on. And then um, my baby was born three and a half hours later. <laughs> oh yeah, so I had, I had a 40-minute active labour. So, wow. yeah, it was very, very full-on, very, very fast. Um, once I finally convinced this young midwife to hook me up to the monitor, um, it obviously showed that I was very well in labour. Those pains weren't just um, my cervix ripening. I was in full-blown contractions mm. um, and obviously had done that all naturally and <laughs> things like that as well, which was pretty full-on. Um, and then I said to her, do you think I should ring my husband? And at that stage, she's like, no, no, no. She was still really brushing oh. it off. And then the senior midwife came in. She's like, oh, my gosh, get this husband's, oh, get this wife's husband here. Like, there's going to be a baby soon. Oh, my and, goodness. Um, my obstetrician had come in and he's like, can I just do an internal? I said, yeah, no problem. And he's like, when did your waters break? And I said, oh, I didn't know they had. And he goes, well, I've just taken a little bit of your baby's hair. So your, your, your waters are broken. The baby's <laughs> it's on its way. Um, so that all happened. And I think obviously probably when I was vomiting, um, it probably had come uh, yeah. ways, but I was sitting on the toilet. So I knew no, nothing different, obviously. Um, yeah. yeah. So it was from go to way very, very um, fast it was. But I had a very healthy, very little. She was only um, six pound 12. So um, 2.7 yeah. kilos. So she was a tiny little dot, um, but she was healthy. And that was all the main bits and pieces there. Was, that's all you can hope for. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. What a what a story for the birth. My I goodness. know. It, it, it was pretty intense. It was. Yeah. There's so many parts I'm shocked about in that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And but I think the best part of it, um, you know, no offense, obviously, to this young midwife, but obviously, it was the changing of the guards at six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning. So I had a beautiful midwife come on, and she was just, she just got me. She, she knew that I wasn't, I didn't need the cushioning. She knew that, you know, I'm that competitive person. I needed the Nicole. You've got this. Shut up and let's do it, kind yeah. of thing. Um, so she actually, you know, she got me a mirror, and I thought at the start that is the most disgusting thing. Why are you <laughs> me a mirror? And then I was like, oh my god, there's no way knowing this baby's staying, like coming back, because obviously they, as you know, they can go in and out of the canal a little bit. So once I had that mirror, it was full, you know, go time. Let's, let's get this baby out. That's it's it's happening. <laughs> yeah, it's great that she could read you so well. Oh, she was she was absolutely phenomenal. She was, yeah. Um, I took her a big present afterwards. She was just she was your typical cheerleader, someone that you really need when you're giving birth for sure. Oh, that's the best, and you definitely need that support team. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, and you know, um, my husband and my mum were absolutely amazing as well, and I'm very very grateful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so good that they made it there in time as well. Yeah, so luckily we only lived 15 minutes from the hospital, which was good. So, um, yeah, it was very, very lucky and obviously being probably first thing in the morning as well. Um, yeah. yeah, very grateful. Oh, I've got the biggest smile on my face. I love birth. <laughs> oh, no, and even babies, it's, it's, it's such a happy thing. <laughs> well, it really is. And I think um, I wasn't super, you know, baby, baby before I was pregnant. Yep. 
but going through that experience of pregnancy and having her and oh my goodness when it comes to birth stories baby stories conception stories I I just melt like my heart nothing like a good birth story oh I know I love it (laughs) But speaking of birth stories, you've got two birth stories. I do have two birth stories. So I've got a very special surprise packet now. Yes. Can you tell us about the beautiful surprise? Yeah. So um, as I sort of shared a little bit with you prior to this, Jade, um, my um, mother-in-law had actually passed away in the October uh, three years ago now and prior to her passing away um, she she always wanted us to have more children but knew that we probably wouldn't be able to or if we did it was going to be more of a struggle and we had just one of those very bizarre moments where she just held my hand and she said I've just got something to tell you um, and then she sort of closed her eyes she hadn't passed away but she was in and out of consciousness um, and nothing else came of that conversation then and that and everyone kept saying to me, especially her sister, kept on saying, I bet you she was going to tell you that you're, you're going to be pregnant soon because she was a very spiritual sort of person. Um, mm-hmm. And I sort of just put that in the back of my mind, didn't sort of think too much into it. Um, and then we had a good old Christmas party with work. Um, I'd come home, obviously, from the Christmas party. We had a great old time. <laughs> Um, and then I was um, on a night shift at work and it was about 3am and I'd, I'd often feel a bit sick about that time of morning when I do a night shift anyway. Um, and then one of the girls just jokingly said, do a pregnancy test, see what happens. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And lo and behold, I was actually pregnant. I wasn't having the night duty 3am sickness. I was pregnant, which was <laughs> absolutely mind-blowing so once again um got in the car went down to the 24-hour chemist brought those packets and packets of (laughs) pregnancy tests because I didn't want to be going through our emergency department and stealing all of this um so done multiple pregnancy tests overnight um I'd actually done a double shift as well so I'd been already working since one o'clock the previous afternoon so then when um the nurses came on the next morning the nurse in charge said oh I brought you a bottle of wine to say thank you from doing the double shift and I was like oh <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks for that <laughs> so I sort of had to that one in a little bit um and then I just I, I went home and my husband had only obviously gotten up for um to, for, to start his day for work and things and I chucked the pregnancy test on the bed and he's like, ah, funny joke. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, no, no, it's real. And it actually it's took quite a few moments to sort of believe me that I wasn't pulling his leg, that, no, this had actually happened. Um, and then the bizarre part of that was because um, this was a month past his mum passing away. So, um, and then I went back to work the following week for my, my shifts and I went into a patient's room and she said to me, oh, gosh, you've got an aura about you. And I thought, oh, okay. Didn't really think too much about it. And then she said that she had to think about it for a little while. Then I came back in and she said, oh, you've recently lost somebody in your life, haven't you? Wow. I said, yeah, yeah, I have actually. And she goes, and you're pregnant. <laughs> and I said, excuse me? And she goes, um, have you heard of the circle of life? You've, you've had to lose somebody very, very special in your life for you to gain this baby and said are you pregnant and I said yeah but only like a week to two weeks maybe three weeks pregnant or whatever it might have been um 
and it was it was full on. I've never been through something like that, obviously. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yep, and um, That's so beautiful. yeah. So now I, I really think, obviously, to this day, that whole spiritual thing with my mother-in-law. Maybe she was trying to tell me, you know, I'm saying goodbye to you now, but there's going to be something beautiful coming on that other okay. side. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's a bit chilling, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, look, I'd be lying if I'd said I didn't have water in my eyes right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And look, I was warmed up to this story a little bit before you've shared it, but hearing it at a hand. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And like, she, she went through so much depth. Yeah. Like, you know, she even said to me, you know, it'll, it will be scary, this this birth, but don't worry, it'll be okay. And I said, oh, okay, yep, no problem. And she said, um. You've, you've got a candle, um, your mother-in-law said. Um, she said, you've got to keep burning it. And the day before she died, she died at the, the Alfred Hospital um, and they've got some little shops down in their little cafeteria area. So I went and brought me and my sister-in-law a beautiful candle from those cafeterias and I gave that to her um, the day before her mum died and things like that. And um, this patient said to me, she goes, you know, you've got to keep burning that candle. I'm like, oh, wow. wow. Like, how is this happening? <laughs> And the thing is, something like that, sh- the patient was so specific on a oh. few things. Like you've got someone you love and then you've got this beautiful aura and the circle of life and then the candle. Yeah. And she told me I was going to have a baby boy with brown eyes as well. <gasps> yeah. And because my daughter, my firstborn, she's blonde hair, blue eyes. So I sort of thought, oh, yeah, yeah sure, sure. Um, but well and behold, I had a little boy with brown hair, brown eyes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's incredible. That was incredible, absolutely. How did you feel when this patient was telling you this stuff? Um, was your heart racing or uh, did you believe it? Were you unsure? At the start I thought she was pulling my leg and then it got really real really quickly um, and then I just started crying. I could not stop the tears. <laughs> absolutely. That's wow. And especially being pregnant too, you're already uh, emotional. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yep, so... Um, you know, for something that was so horrible um, and especially because my husband was struggling so much, um, it was just as hard as it was, it was bitter, but there was so much sweetness all rolled into one. Oh, absolutely. Um, oh, I'm speechless. <laughs> I just, no, no, it's thank you for sharing that because I, yeah, on so many levels, your life experience is just incredible and inspiring and beautiful and um, oh, especially your mother-in-law holding your hand as well. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, That's just, yeah, we're so extremely grateful and, you know, and obviously people go through this every single day and but, you know, for something that was so negative, what all felt so negative at the time, things have just been so amazingly positive at the same breath as well. So very, very lucky. Yeah. And so how many weeks pregnant were you when this patient picked up? Was it three it weeks, would have probably, did you say? Yeah, it was very, very early. So probably what's normally the earliest you can test is sort of three to four weeks really, isn't it? So it was it was very fresh, yeah. Wow. And then that pregnancy went smoothly as well? Yes, pregnancy. I only had it very mildly compared to my first. Um, So it wasn't so bad. It just got the odd twinge here and there. So it wasn't too bad at all. Um, So I was able to do everything as normal, which was really, really great. Um, I opted to go privately um, straight up again this time. So being in um, 
my firstborn was she was in Melbourne uh, and then Victoria. So I had a beautiful um, obstetrician up here, which was fantastic. So I had a really fairly smooth pregnancy, had the odd bit of sickness, not too bad at all. Um, and then due to my daughter being a, a small a small birth weight, they anything underneath that seven pound, they normally, um, so that's a, a, on the smaller side for the birth weight as well. They started doing some monitoring um, sort of from that 20 week onwards, just to make sure the placenta and everything was all going okay. Um, and then about 38 weeks, you said look um due to your um first birth being so rapid um he wanted to induce me at 39 weeks um just purely because i live quite a bit out of town um he could just see me giving birth roadside and that was my biggest fear as well so i agreed to be induced um and so the day before being induced i felt almost like you know that feeling when you you lose your stomach on a roller coaster so I had that big, oh, like I've just lost my stomach kind of feeling. But and that's all it was. And baby was still moving and kicking and really, really active and things like that. So we went to the hospital at 7 a.m. the next day to be induced. And um, the obstetrician got there and he said, look, you're, um, you're not having this baby naturally. And I said, oh, what, what's happened? And he said, your baby's um, completely breached now. And I said, well, that makes sense. Yesterday I had this awful, like I lost my stomach kind of sensation and he believes that's probably um would have been my son yeah where he spun um and that's where um and now I feel very very grateful that I was actually asked to come and be induced because from there um they realized that I had a um a marginal cord so your um your cord obviously normally grows right in the center of your placenta so my cord was actually growing right on the edge of my placenta, um, so which was a little bit different. So if they tried to do a manual and to try and turn him, that would have been enough to um, disconnect the cord and the placenta. Um, and then so I went down for my C-section, which is a very bizarre experience, never actually being in labour and then going to have a baby with never actually having a contraction and things like that. So that was a bit um, bizarre. Um, but, yeah, once they pulled my little guy out, um, he was completely entangled in the cord and um, the cord was literally hanging on its last thread. So um, that was about to detach and the placenta had already um, started to detach itself away from my uterus wall as well. Um, so it could have been a very, very scary situation if I was left to obviously go into labour naturally and things like that as well. So it was very much that blessing in disguise that um, that it happened. Um, yeah. And then, you know, sort of a week or so after my little boy was born, um, my um, – so – my mother-in-law's sister, um, she actually brought it up with me and because I'd totally forgotten. Um, she said, remember that medium? She said, you know, she told you it was going to be a bit scary but everything would be okay. And she goes, I wonder if she meant that. And I was like, oh, my God, this just keeps getting more yeah. and more. And, uh, oh, my goodness, yeah. Yep. Um, and but talk about the timing of things, though, because like you said, you had such a rapid labour last yep. time um, and then – oh, my goodness, if things had have happened without warning. Um, and, I mean, even just you sharing that story, I didn't – I know different things can happen in the development of the placenta and the umbilical cord, um, but I didn't know that it can be placed in, you know, off the yeah. side. Yep. Um, obviously, that's not the optimal spot yep. for it, 
Um, but yeah, I, I was unaware that that was something that yeah. could happen. And because like, cords can be different lengths and things like that then as well, which obviously you need a little bit of length. So then, you know, when the baby is starting to move and all those sorts of things, they're not, um, but then also that can go the other way. They've got too much cord, they're entangling themselves and that as well. So um, yeah, so just very, very, very lucky if we hadn't been there, obviously it could have been a different story. And um, even when we're down in the operating theatre, the midwife said, she goes, oh, and she goes, it's a little bit gross, but she goes, I'd love to be able to show you your placenta. And I'm all about gross things, being a nurse and things like that anyway. And she showed me and it was literally, it was hanging on by a thread. It was, it was amazing actually to see. <laughs> Yeah, I could imagine because the placenta itself is remarkable to look oh. at. Like I I never saw my yep. hand, but when like since having Cosima, even though she was a C-section, um, so I went into labour naturally and then a few complications happened and then it was a yep. Caesar. Um, but ever since then I've been obsessed with birth stories and looking at different labours and all yep. that sort of stuff. Um, and when I've seen, you know, the placenta, especially if the blood's still pumping oh, I through. It's incredible, absolutely amazing, like how our bodies grow an yeah. organ to grow. I know. Yeah. It blows my yep. mind. We're pretty, pretty amazing, us women. <laughs> well, I guess that's a good way to lead into things. Do you view your body differently since having your children? Absolutely. Like I've always, uh, I've always been, I'm, I'm quite a tall girl and things like that. I've always been very athletic. Um, so I've always been very body conscious and things like that. Um, post my daughter, I was very much like, I've got to bounce back. I've got to um, get back into exercise. Um, at that time, I was doing some triathlons and things like that as well. So I was like, I've got to get back into that. I've got to get back into training. Um, I was big into basketball, so I wanted to get back into all of that. So I wasn't kind to myself. Um, I lost a lot of weight very quickly, um, probably breastfeeding and things like that as well. So I wasn't kind to myself at all. Um, and probably, you know, um, comparing myself to social media and things like that as well, that wasn't the best. Um, and um, But second time round, yeah, I'm the heaviest I've ever been now, but I'm also the happiest I've ever been. And I grew two little humans and that's bloody amazing. <laughs> Absolutely it is. Um, but you're right, the, the, there's not necessarily a direct pressure, but definitely seeing other people's, I guess, yes. bounce yep. back. Um makes you feel like unless you have that yeah. experience um that you're not looking after yourself yeah, well right. enough and it's um, not telling me that so, I had to lose weight it was me telling myself that what everyone just, yeah. was expecting me to do and yeah yeah um so I didn't like as soon as I had Cosima, I wanted to start training and things like that. I wasn't super conscious about weight loss yep. specifically, but in my mind, I'm like, oh, I, I need to get that yep. baby weight off. Um, but with my prior health concerns, um, weight loss really isn't good for my hormones or yep. my mental health. So it was that fine line of, oh, I need to lose yeah. a little bit, but, you know, that's not good for yep. you right now. Um, but I remember, you know, two, three in the morning, Jasima's just gone to sleep. I'd have a quick little scroll yeah. on Instagram and it would pop up that someone's 12 weeks postpartum. And honestly, they oh, looked absolutely. incredible. Yep. Amazing. So I could have had the best day and gone, you know what? I don't even care what I look like. I'm so happy yep. just being mum. And then I'd see that photo and go, 
oh you're yeah, a bit shit yeah it's it's so easy to do well, that isn't it yeah and especially when you're sleep deprived and like you said when you're breastfeeding too you're yeah. so hungry um and it yeah and you're not even thinking straight but that imagery it does it plays on you even if so part of you feels invincible because you've just created this life and whether you're breastfeeding or not, but you're, you know, you're looking after this tiny little human. Um, you do, you feel it just like superwoman. Um, but then, yeah, just something as simple as an image can make you go, oh, I'm yeah, not doing absolutely. this right. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, a, it's very frustrating how much we put so much pressure on ourselves and I wish we could all take this pressure away from ourselves because I think bloody women are fabulous and what we go through and what we have to go through it's you know we should be bowed to I think us women like <laughs> it's a lot like I I think I got lucky with the COVID lockdowns because all the gyms yes. got shut down um and it just turned into well you know I'll do some stuff at home to keep moving because I, I love training I yep. really do enjoy it but at the same time for the stage I was at postpartum I needed equipment to get a really good yep. workout in because I didn't have the capacity to be doing burpees yeah, and stuff like that. Yep. I wasn't there. Um, but I look back in hindsight, I'm like, as much as the restrictions were difficult, when it comes to me just yep. settling and not worrying about weight loss or anything like that, it was the best yeah. thing that could have happened. It's like, you know what, yep. I'll go for a walk, I'll do a few yep. push-ups, I'll just yep. take it easy. Um, because the gyms aren't open, what can I do? And I think the biggest thing that I had said to me was that that is like you know you don't have to lose that weight. The 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 one thing that you need to do is have that baby looking at you and being happy. Like don't be you know why be yeah baby just just want you. They just want you to play. That they don't care what size you are. They just want you. They just want to be loved. And it's so true. Yeah, and you know what? That's another thing I remember thinking to myself because sometimes you get in that really great headspace and then other times something a bit nasty creeps in. Um, And then I just look down at her sleeping awake, whatever it might be, and I just think to myself, I can't get this time back. But I can always go to the gym. There's nothing else. I can exercise. I can lose weight. I can gain weight. It doesn't matter. But these seconds, minutes, weeks, months – if we pass them, we've Absolutely. only got photos. You're so very true. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I guess as a new mum with that firstborn, and I obviously haven't had my second, but I feel like if I had my second, that whole first few weeks would be quite different in regards to that mental space of feeling like yeah. I needed to train. I think just go, you know yep. what? No. And I, I think no. having your second, it actually makes you slow down though as well in terms of you know how quickly they grow, you know that they these the tough times don't last forever and things like that. So you go, do you know what? I'm going to sit on the couch, I'm going to cuddle my baby and I'm going to enjoy every bloody second of it because this is going to change again in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, things like that. So yeah. second time round, it's, it's really different, really, really different. Yeah, look, I'm not sure if you agree, but I'd love to hear what you've got to say about it. Um, so Kasima's yep. 10 months old. She'll yep. be one in January. And I'm getting yeah. a bit emotional about it. And half of that is because I remember the first, I don't know, yep. four to eight weeks, the days were long Absolutely. and the nights were longer. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, yep. I'm, I'm happy, yep. but this is hard. Yep. This is really hard. Um, and then all of a sudden I blink and she's turning one in two months. 
I'm like, but those first weeks yep. so and slow. you will cry your eyes out at her first birthday party. I'll bet you that. <laughs> no, yeah, I think you're right. It is so <laughs> emotional. It is. It really is. I remember getting up, holding my little girl in my arms, thanking everybody for coming to her birthday. And that's as far as I got. I just burst into tears. I thought, what the heck has happened? Like, I was fighting for this baby so incredibly hard. Here and now she's one mm. and she's laughing and smiling and waving and eating a cupcake and it was just beautiful. Oh, <laughs> and now goodness. I'm sending her off to school next yeah. year. I think, what the heck has happened? Oh. So, <laughs> I was going to say, how does that feel? She's so <laughs> incredibly ready. She's the most fierce, independent, sassy little thing you ever come across. She's just hilarious. And she's already said to me in times, Mum, I've got this. I'm like, I know you do. <laughs> so she's only had a couple of orientations and I've already had to be that mum who's like, don't cry at the orientation. Like, at least wait to day one of school to hold it in. But, but it, it, it's waterproof oh, and Sarah that day. eyelashes these days. <laughs> oh, so it's just that, um, yeah, that you blink then you you just yeah you literally you remember those sleepless days of just having them and the nights are so incredibly long and now yeah. she's walking away waving mm. and she's so incredibly happy and so it's that emotion of where did that time go to oh my god I am so proud of this little human to yes I think that's the um the tricky part of how you feel because part of you's can't believe how quickly yep. the time's gone but the other part of you is just like wow look at them grow and learn and you know like you said yeah. you're just so proud of and them I'm such a biased mom I'm like she's so incredibly pretty and she's so smart and I'm just like oh how to create this little person I love it <laughs> be biased yeah, why not <laughs> so cool I say to my husband sometimes I'm like she's yeah, just the coolest wait till she can start putting a few words together they are just the best they <laughs> they're cool little things oh, I can't wait it is. it's all just so exciting <laughs> um oh again thank you for sharing everything I'm absolutely yeah, loving this it's so good um no, I've loved it. Um, I just guess if we could touch yeah. on one more thing because we've had firsthand experience and I myself with friends who are going through IVF too would love to yeah. hear what you've got to say. Um, how can you be the best support to someone going through IVF given different circumstances, yeah. different personalities? But um, I guess what did your stand out from you in that yeah, time so to comfort you as much as the person that's going through IVF says they're okay and they, they don't need anything at that time just keep being that friend that shows up keep being that friend that is there to listen we as selfish as it is we don't need to hear about your children and things at the time as much as you know as much as we love your children and things as well we need to be selfish during these times. We need to think only about us and us only going through the IVF process as well. We we don't want to be told that it's all going to be okay. Just relax and all those sorts of things because trust us, we've tried that. We've tried relaxing. We've, you know, so I think just just showing up and just yeah. being there, that's, that's one of the biggest ones it is. Um, 
I I really struggled emotionally. I pushed a lot of my friends away. And then and one of my girlfriends, she just was, wasn't having a bar of it. And every second day I would go out and there would be either a meal hanging from my um, fence outside or there'd be some chocolates hanging on my fence outside with just a note because she knew I wasn't up for seeing people face-to-face. But she, but she knew that I needed yeah. to know that she was there as well. And I cannot thank my girlfriend enough for that. Um, I hate that I pushed her away and things like that. But because she was trying to conceive at that same time as well and things like that, um, I, I couldn't mm-hmm. deal with her emotions. And that's not saying that I don't love and care about her. It's just that she knew that I was so much in my own head. Um, but she just kept on showing up day in, day out. And, yeah, it, that's – I'm not even sure if that makes sense at all. But, like, yeah. No, no, it does. It, it definitely does. Because, like you said, all your energy is going yep. into that process. Um, and also I think – like, I don't know because I haven't been in that situation, but I'd imagine when you're trying so hard on the IVF journey and then someone who's trying to naturally conceive – you're happy for them, but it's like my journey's yeah. just different. It's and just a bit of weight, I think. I've got a, a lot of things. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then the treatment too with all the hormones and things like that, that are being injected. I'd imagine it Absolutely. so yeah, different. Yeah. And then I get, you have some friends who sort of go the opposite way who then avoid it completely. And then that's how sort of crazy you are. Mm. And you're like, well, why aren't they talking to me about it? And then on the same breath, you're like, hang on, I've just pushed my other friends away because I need space. And then I'm getting angry at my other friends because they don't want to deal with it with me. And so it's really hard. You sort of hear there and everywhere. But I think my biggest advice is just please just just show up for your friends. Just you don't have to be you don't have to be there talking their ears off. You can just sit on the couch next to them in silence. It's amazing just to know that you've got someone there with you, you know they're on your, you know, they're in your corner, they're there for you if you need them kind of thing. Yeah, just, yeah, no, I understand. Um, and I think it's not always a conversation that needs to be had or a, like you said, sitting in silence sometimes yep. means more than anything else. It's like, you know what, you might not have me now, but I'm yep, here absolutely. whenever you yeah, do. Yeah, yep, so I'm very lucky I had a, phenomenal support group around me and things like that um with with both friends and family and things as well and you know I had multiple times when girlfriends would just turn up to my house and say get changed come on we're going out for dinner or going out for lunch or whatever it may be and they would just let me cry (laughs) it'd be embarrassing for them but they would just let me cry and yeah and that's okay it's it's bloody emotional thing to go through and it's tough and but yeah it's having good good friends to start off with before you you go through that journey is a big point absolutely yeah and did you ever jump on facebook groups and things like that or did you mainly just get your friends family every facebook support group possible um and very very quickly i deleted a lot of them as well i went down the rabbit hole of i was awake all hours of the morning and it was like oh well what did your levels come back as and what did your tests show oh mine must be worse than yours or I've got this and it just became this massive comparing thing and that's not good for your mental health at all at all (laughs) 
No, and I think you can't help but compare yourself to other people's journey. So it's like, well, if they had that level and theirs was successful and they had that level and theirs wasn't and mine's here, then that means I'm going to have X, Y, Z. And it just doesn't work that way. Parenting forums and things like that. Parents are on there and you're like, well, my baby's got this, so it must mean this. And that means your baby's got it too. And you think, oh, my God, like stop. (laughs) And it's just so much added pressure that you just don't need. I'm sure you'd hear a lot of it because obviously yeah. with the sleep consulting, um, yeah. so, you know, Kasima's 10 months old and she yeah. still wakes up two to three times a night. Um, and when I saw the pediatrician, because of COVID, there's yeah, no um, maternal yeah. health nurses or anything like that. I just need yeah. someone to just check her and yeah. just confirm she's all good. Um, and yeah. then I let her know about the sleep stuff and she's, yeah. oh, she's only 10 months. Yeah. Some babies will sleep 12 hours. Yeah. Some babies are still awake, yep. her appetite's still developing. She got a substantial amount of food in her belly during the day. She was asleep. But until yeah, then, absolutely. don't worry about it. I think the biggest thing is oh. to remind parents if it's not an issue for you and your family, then don't make it an issue for you and your family. Just because Mrs. Smith down the road, her baby's doing this, doesn't mean that your baby has to do this as well. Like, you and I have got different sleep needs and things like that. So, of course, our babies are going to have different individual sleep needs and things like that as well. And I think – and that's what I'm such a big advocate about to, with parents and things like that. It's okay, like, just to try and be a bit more of that support, not that you have to do X, Y, and Z to, to achieve certain things, but to go, no, 10 months, they're still young. They're, they're tiny. They're, they're, they're learning to crawl around and crawl and stand and walk and learn words. They've got – so much going on and in they, these little brains. Well, I'm not surprised they're waking sometimes at two or three yeah. times at night. As long as they're not waking up and they're in pain or something like that, then, yeah, you probably need to get that looked at and things like that. But otherwise, it's very normal. Yeah. yeah. And and it is. And But I think coming back full circle is that people often only share oh, if their babies are great sleepers, just like positive Absolutely. pregnancy stories or IVF stories or everything confided and then you find a community of people that are like, yeah, mm, yeah that's not my story. Uh, it's a little like this and then suddenly yeah. all the other people come out of the closet it's and go, oh, it's like, oh, my God, thank God someone said it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, Nicole, this I'm so grateful to have been chatting to you all the while. Um and thank you so much for sharing your journey. And oh, you've had I an eventful have, few yes, years, I to have say the least. Definitely come out the other side of it. And I've got two very healthy babies, and could not be any more grateful <laughs> at all. Oh, yes, I know. And I've seen the photos on Instagram. They They're absolutely cute. adorable. No, they're amazing. Um, so, look, what I'll do, if you're happy for me to, I'll link in the show notes your Tiny Sleepers page. Um, and if anyone had any questions, they can reach out to you. Um, and then otherwise, yeah, again, thank you so much for all of your time and your patience and just sharing such an incredible journey. And oh, it had all the feels, the chills, <laughs> the excitement, the sadness, no, the joy. Thank you so much, Jada. I really <laughs> appreciate it. And 
I wish all the mamas out there all the best yeah. for going through IVF. It's a tough gig, but obviously stay strong and stay positive. Absolutely. Thanks, Jade. Bye. Thanks so much, Nicole. so much for listening in on today's episode i hope you enjoyed it as much as we loved recording it um, please share it with someone who you think might also like it and subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with further episodes thanks again for being here